This week's guest is Levi Vixie. Levi currently resides in Moscow, Idaho, a university town on the northern Idaho border with Washington State. We talked with Levi about his experiences working in both the back of house and how that provided him with structure as he transitioned to the front of house. We also discussed cocktail culture in small town America and the challenges of introducing customers to new flavors and tastes. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast, where we tell the stories of the people in the service industry. Uh, I'm Kip Saunders. I'm your host. With me, as always, Dan Soretta, the producer engineer of the program. Hey, man. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. You know, a couple of weekends open with the bar now. We're, we're, in, we're in phase three here in Kitchener, Ontario, so... You need people to get feel good about coming inside again, but yeah. uh, <laughs> getting back in the swing of things. Yeah, we're it's uh, it's a lot of staring at my business partner right now. So <laughs> it's a good thing he's pretty. Um, I, one way to help the show, as I always mention, if you're if you're liking what we're doing here, the best way to do it is to subscribe, rate, and review uh, to the industry podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That really helps us out tremendously. Also, if you are in the service industry and you wish to be a guest on the program, just DM us at The Industry Podcast. Um, thanks again, Zach Hanna, for the great artwork. Uh, if you're looking for graphic design, it's at Zach Hanna. On, how do you spell that out one more time? Uh, Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H. Perfect. Yes. Okay, we have a great guest for you today coming to you all the way from uh, Moscow, Idaho. Uh, it's Levi Vixie. How are you doing, Levi? Good. How are you how, guys? Uh, we're good, man. You know, this crazy fucking world we live in right now. So everything's uh, yeah, no, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How are things uh, there for you? Like as far as the virus cases, etc. What what do you? How are the bar? What's the bar situation like? Are you guys open? Um. So so I'm at. So I work at two places right now. So uh, one place over in Washington. So one's in Washington and it's totally closed. They rolled back the phasing and all that. Oh, wow. uh, we actually had to reapply for like licenses and stuff like that, just so we uh, get to be on phase three rather than phase four. Whereas on the other side of the border, Idaho, people are just, I don't know, like down in Boise, they're kind of reckless. Uh, the town I'm in, they're a little more respectful. So we have like a, a, a mandate just for the city. <laughs> but otherwise, like most of Idaho, man, they're like, uh, a lot of the people in America they hear about, they're like, oh, like, mask is, they're unconstitutional or whatever. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> Some crazy I shit there, man. It's just like it's a piece of cloth over your face. What's the big deal? <laughs> I, I don't, well, yeah. I, uh, I try to explain it. If anyone has a really big issue with it, I'm like, look, man, if you weren't wearing pants, you know, I wouldn't let you in the building, so I don't know, like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right, yeah. And actually, <laughs> probably a pantless guest can do less damage right now. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's funny. Uh, okay, so I, t just for our listeners who aren't familiar, because I frankly am not familiar, tell us a little bit about Moscow, Idaho. Like, What kind of town is it? How big is it? What's the scene yeah. there? So it's a pretty small town. It's uh, so Pullman and Moscow are really next to each other. It's uh, in the Palouse area. It's Washington and Idaho, right next to each other. Uh, and it's it's kind of characterized. The two towns are characterized by the universities. Pullman is basically a university with a town attached to it, whereas Moscow is a uh, a town with a university attached to it. Oh, okay. And what are the universities? Uh, U of I, University of Idaho, and then uh, WSU. Oh, okay, Washington State yeah. University. Yeah, okay, cool. So uh -huh. those are some pretty big schools. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, so the area is the area is kind of weird, especially if you're trying to break into the industry and trying to 
you know, try to be on a more international community or you're kind of hyper local and people aren't necessarily, you know, a lot of people don't know what like a gimlet is, for example, right. stuff like that. So it's a little bit of a weird spot, but it's, it's nice. It's local. Uh, I think Moscow is pretty much the most liberal uh, place you're going to find in Idaho. Very, very much red state. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and um, so I'm guessing you have a, like just a massive student population in that area as well, obviously. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, we depend on it for the most part, which is, you know, COVID is obviously kind of fucking that up a little yeah. bit. Well, it's the yeah. same here. Like Kitchener Waterloo is the same thing. We have uh, two universities and a college here yeah. uh, just within the city. So it's, we're completely dependent on students after a while. And some of them are still around, but it's definitely, it's, it's taken its toll. <laughs> this, uh, no, we, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, it's when they're coming back, right? Like that's part of I it. I mean, it might all change, right? Like yeah. it's, uh, I mean, we're talking about the industry changing alone, but then like the factors outside of what fuels the industry is also changing, which is just, uh, it's like kind of looking like an uh, exponential problem of this like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's 11.5 million workers out of work right now. And then on top of that, like, a bunch of students aren't going out to eat. Or if, if they are, it's, you know, they're going about it maybe in the wrong way. Like, college bars that aren't necessarily, like, you know, wearing masks, doing Practicing the Practicing social distancing, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah we got a few of those, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Yeah, since you were mentioning that, I know this is something you were interested in talking about, and I am too. Uh, since you, well, let's just jump right into it. You were talking about like the challenges a little bit of working in a small student-oriented town and like mm-hmm. trying to kind of force cocktail culture on onto your community. Like, talk talk to me a little bit about the challenges with that. Totally. I mean, that's so. I mean, that's the key word is is cocktail culture uh, for me, and it's actually. The biggest challenge I found is nurturing that is basically uh, building trust with regulars and with even someone that's just come in like the second time in. They might not even come in again, but the second time in, they're like, look, you know, I trust you now to push me beyond maybe what I've had. Like, like I like daiquiris. What else am I going to like? And you go, you know, anywhere like crazy, like the last word. They've never had chartreuse, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely challenging in the area where where the knowledge is is not necessarily there uh, for an average consumer. And so you're, you're saying these words where you have to explain, you know, if you have to explain 75% of the ingredients, it starts getting kind of tedious. And they start, they start to glass over too, right? Like what, by totally. the third ingredient that they don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and that's, you know, I've, I've uh, started structuring uh, basically education by bartenders to to guests, so like any bartender that I train, I have to teach them how to educate as well, just because people don't usually, a lot of people here, they ask questions, which is nice, honestly, they, they're, at least they're interested. Um, but making sure that they're, if they do a bartender's choice, like there's one to two funky ingredients that they never heard of. Right. That way they have, you know, a platform to be like, look, this is this is Maraschino, this is Luxardo Maraschino, yeah. crazy ingredient, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and it's just kind of getting everyone on board to be a little more, I guess, uh, kind of know what they're doing, like why that ingredient isn't. And then also having a plan afterwards. If, if they ask for another bartender's choice there, like you don't give them the same thing. You like right. you go more into depth, like next is the Brandy Crusta. After the Brandy Crusta, like let's go to the last word and like all these classics that have mm-hmm. that Maraschino, you know. Yeah, and so, so you kind of tie it together with a single ingredient, and then that's how you kind of develop a palate. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, that's totally. cool. I mean, because 
Sorry. Uh, yeah. So it's it's. I mean, like most guests, they don't necessarily. You don't want to screw with their palate too much. We're like, uh -huh. okay, this one has mezcal. The next one is scotch, and the next right. one is. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Keep you don't want to blow their palate out. Yeah. Right. Keep them down a path. And uh, so I have a couple questions about this too. Like, so if you're so you're taking your guests down this path of like, and and I do think that's a great way to do it. Sort of keep them on a similar track, at least for per visit, right? You might mix yeah. up the next time they come in, but. Right. Um, what are the challenges or how, like, do you have some, do you, maybe you can give us a couple of tricks of the trade of how you can get, like, a, an average Joe guest into something beyond, like, a drink that has the recipe in the title? Totally. Uh, I mean, I think, I think the biggest point is asking for the most basic information that you can get from them. Uh, and I think every average Joe, uh, besides, you know, very few exceptions, but every average Joe likes something that they think is very unique to them at least. Right. Like, you know, like especially, uh, especially in rural areas where they don't see a lot of crazy things that are being inundated with some type of flavor. Like they'll be like, I like lavender. And like, you're like, okay, cool. That opens up florals for me. And then right. from that route, you can like, this is back to Maraschino, right? Like very floral, you know, get uncle Val's and Maraschino all of a sudden like, boom that's like right up the alley of, of lavender, basically. Like you can almost kind of go down that road. Mm -hmm. So it's really just listening to the simplest of cues because and really trying to build their trust for them to kind of get rid of the timidity of, of being maybe embarrassed that they like something like lavender or right. embarrassed. They like these maybe stranger flavors for them, which we're very, you know, we're, we're very comfortable with. Obviously. Right, yeah. So uh, do you have it, do you find a challenge, like if somebody's coming in, like if, say, if somebody's coming in and ordering like a basic cocktail, somebody comes in and orders a, like something shitty, like a Cosmo or something like that. Right, and then yeah. like, how do you, are you just, okay, fine, fuck it, let's make a Cosmo. Or at that point, are you trying to take them, trying to suggest something maybe a little bit higher class or more complex or... I mean, I think the if people want a Cosmo, I mean, so my, my standing rule, and this is and this my mentor's standing rule too, is like if someone wants a Long Island, you better make them the best fucking Long Island they've ever had. Right. Um, so so usually uh, first drink, we definitely we might try to like maybe upsell a little bit or be like, look, have you tried it with like gotcha. effing cucumber or something? You know what I mean? Like yeah. change it a little bit, but yeah. really make sure that it's their drink. Uh, but then second drink, use what they like to kind of go into that, launch into that, basically. Yeah, so then at that point, if they order a second one, you're kind of like, well, would you, maybe you'd be, if you like that, maybe you'd be interested in trying this, and you're walking them down the path Totally. Uh, yeah, and also... Sorry, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, also, I mean, like, going into, uh, going into uh, basically, rather than letting them all control, like, hey, instead of not giving them the opportunity to be like, hey, another, just, like, when it's at a quarter, like, come up to them and be like, hey you know what, if you like Cosmos, I have something for you. Like, right. I have this drink in mind. And, like, make it very personalized. Make them feel super important. Like, you know, welcome to the party, man. Hey, I'm the host. I'm taking mm -hmm. care of you right now and no one else. Right. Yeah, that's great. That's a good way to go about it. Um, I, the other thing I was wanted was interested in asking you about this and being in a small town, because we have run into this. Like, Kitchener-Waterloo is not a big town either, especially considering we're very close to Toronto, which is a huge city. And... We, it's been hard sometimes to get the cocktail culture going here as well. Like, it's a pretty cool small town here, but it's also, it's definitely been a development process over a few years to now people are totally. into it, right? How far can we push this craft cocktailing thing? Um, 
is there a limit to where is there a limit do you, that, do you think there's a limit for the guests of how much they're willing to put up with with regards to how long it takes to get the drink and how much they're willing to pay for it totally uh no definitely i mean i think that's i think speed i mean on, at the end of the day uh craft is a fad of bartending like we we're so deep in it that we're like no it's everything uh, right. but like my mentor says like hey look it's a fad man before this they were pumping out you know porn star martinis and all that mm-hmm. and it was like over like fast and everyone loved them and it's the same concept where uh like i think i think some people if you go to the right place if you go to like i think club 76 i want to say or bar 76 in uh amsterdam you know like five-seater bar takes 10 minutes to make a cocktail and is perfect and all that it is about like watching the bartender for 10 minutes mm-hmm. however i think i think the majority of every 99 percent of bartenders especially in the craft industry should really work towards making it uh, a little bit of a show but make sure they're also not having to wait for their goddamn drink they're not right yeah you know? No, I I agree with you actually, and uh, when but in between the, my first and second places that I owned, I was kind of already thinking this craft thing, cocktailing thing. I'm kind of over it. Like fuck yeah. all the syrups and the infusions, and let's just go back <laughs> yeah. to like three ingredients. You know, like that that kind of a thing. Um, so I, I definitely agree with that. And you, you, you've mentioned a couple of times that you have a mentor, which we haven't had somebody on the show say that before. Talk to us a little bit about who this person is and what they yeah. talk about. So Corey Preston, uh, he he owns SC Bravo over in Pullman. So that's the other place I work. He uh, he also before that he worked at Black Cypress, and his mentor was Kevin Kelp, who runs Red Feather that recently closed, unfortunately, in uh, Boise. Okay. Um, and so Corey Preston is, I mean, I, I can't describe him. Uh, I mean, words don't describe him, but he's like one of those people that you meet and you and like his the shortest 10 second conversation like he gets hospitality down to the point where you have a better night for two nights not just that night that you're at oh, his wow. you know he's just one of those people that are really uh infectiously good at uh kind of uplifting teaching really getting the point across and like like he taught me uh he well he at least put it into words like making sure you're remembering the point of the cocktail so like if you're making a cocktail you can like focus on all these minutia of all these things going into it but what's the point of the cocktail? Is it still going to taste good after you add cardamom and lavender and this and blah, 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 you know? That's really interesting. And I think that especially now where everybody's just trying to jam so many ingredients into something, just it's almost like a lot. We talked about this with somebody recently. I can't remember who, but like um, how it's become more the show of how many fucking ingredients can I cram so it looks good on the menu when you're describing it. But But that's a beautiful way to put it. Like, what is the point of the cocktail? What is like, what is the flavor you're trying to get across, right? Right, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's like remembering like what a daiquiri is, is, is that's every, I do the daiquiri test every time I train someone of like, look man, like I'm gonna, we're gonna make, I got this out of Death & Co actually, uh, but you know, they do the daiquiri test where one's too sweet, too sour, and one's just right. And just like, you know, explaining like, what's the point of the cocktail? Like, yeah, like you're gonna sip, you're gonna straw test that a million times and you're gonna be like, oh, the sweetness is like just right or whatever. But then if you take a sip of the final cocktail after it's diluted, after it's chilled, and you're not you're not really, you know, if, if, if it doesn't taste right, it means you didn't really get the point of the cocktail. You didn't really put in the right. forethought into what it's gonna result in. Hmm, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, sounds like this guy does know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so uh, we'll back it up a little bit now. We kind of just dive right, dove right into that conversation. But um, 
Let's talk a little bit about how you came up here. You did a lot of traveling when you were a kid um, because of your parents, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so talk, to us, was, talk to us a little bit about that, the places that you lived, and maybe how that kind of affected you into your chosen career now. Totally. Uh, I mean, I definitely think that's, that's a huge reason why I'm a bartender in general. Uh, is because I've, I travel a lot of places with my parents. My dad was a mathematician, uh, and he would go help universities out, do all sorts of stuff. Um, and I kind of had to do, you know, kind of like a military kid, but nerdier, <laughs> I guess, you know. Uh, and so I, uh, I ended up just meeting a lot of people, and I, I usually older people, and I always, like, I got a lot of, I remember as a kid, like, people would come over for little parties my parents would throw, and uh, and I was I always felt like a host, and that was really that was something that I really liked being. It's kind of a chameleon, you know, being like a little idiot nine year old, think I'm holding a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I held on to the feeling of like you know, it feels really good to make someone feel welcome and to have a conversation and kind of make people lose track of time for the most part. Um, right. Yeah. And that happened, you know, from everyone for New York, L.A., Minnesota, like just meeting a lot of really different people. I mean, I don't know if you've met a lot of mathematicians, but there's no mathematician alike besides being maybe a little a little uh, socially awkward. Oh, is that right? Yeah, no, I don't really know too many. Well, we have one friend, but we, he's he's just a drunk. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, there's those two. There's, trust yeah. me, there's those two, yeah. Yeah. One of my neighbors is a mathematician. He's definitely a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Well, I'd say it takes a certain kind of mind, right? Uh, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But you must. Have, some of that must have rubbed off on you. Same gene pool, and like there is a certain um, there's a certain uh, math quotient that goes into crafting a cocktail as well, right? So totally. Well, I mean, so for me, it's it's less the math uh, on that. I mean, there is like batching. I think batching has actually become uh, more of a science than I thought it would become because you know, like the whole like you put in fifty percent of the bitters that it calls for if you scale up because it's going to expand all sorts of stuff like that. Right. Um, and so kind of, I mean, mostly I use that in uh, cons like if I do any consulting or if I'm setting up spreadsheets or anything, I get really nerdy and I'm like, Oh, how do I make it, you know, yeah. work so perfectly where yeah, like yeah. 1.5 ounces, yada, 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 you know? Right. Right. Um, and so the traveling around though, obviously you were pretty young. I'm assuming at that point, like when did the, when did you guys settle in Idaho? Like, what uh, age would you have been? I was 13, I think. Right. I moved up. Yeah, I was 12 or 13. So you obviously weren't involved in the bar scene when you're traveling around with your folks, but, like, no. was, was, there, was there anything that you um, acquired, like, any kind of knowledge you acquired from moving around these cities that ended up helping you later on, do you feel, or beyond? Totally. I mean, I think I, got a, I think I got a really good feel for the fact that they're one area doesn't have all foods which a lot of american towns think they're like oh we have mexican we have this and we have that and then you're like well like you know if you're in louisiana there's five types of creole food alone and if you're in new york you're getting all sorts of lebanese food and all sorts of you know everything basically mm -hmm. um and so that helped me with perspective on on kind of more the creative aspect of kind of remembering to kind of just like go outside my comfort zone of what's normal and start looking at really weird ingredients which you know like at the time when i started looking at tamarind that was weird mm -hmm. now it's a little more you know acceptable or not acceptable but like mainstream to like use tamarind in a cocktail or two right yeah yeah and that's a that's i mean that's got a strong flavor right so you really you use yeah, it in small, small portions um definitely 
Okay, so you eventually land in Moscow, and you're, this is 2016, and um, you, you start, you, what, what's the place that you're working at there? You started as a front of a house, as a server somewhere? Yeah, I started at Sangria Grill, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, got, I got, like, long story short, uh, I was dating this one girl, I know you said don't talk about exes, but I'm going to talk about exes. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, it's, if you're cool talking about it. <laughs> uh, whatever, yeah. um, I was dating this one girl, and then we were, all, we were supposed to move to Canada and then Berlin and this oh. whole thing. Uh, and then she, she basically took off. Uh, and then I kind of felt a little stranded in Moscow. Uh, even my parents were red in Pullman, but I was still just like, shoot, like, there goes my like, two-year, three-year plan. Right. So I, I ended up just applying to random places. I never worked in a restaurant before. So I applied to Sangria Grill. I went in and I happened to know the owner's best friend. And so he's just like, you hired on the spot. And I remember being an absolute shithead when I started. (laughs) Just, you know, uh, and just like getting like my work ethic wasn't there. I didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. Like, you know, why, why should you be a little more quiet on the floor? Why should you do this? Like, I just didn't get it. Like, why? Who cares, right? It's right. just a restaurant. It's just food. It's just this. Uh, but very quickly, I kind of got whipped into shape by uh, a lot of the staff there, uh, which became some of my really good friends who, you know, a lot of really, really strong women figure figures uh, that really just kind of stood out to me and just like took the time and were very patient with myself, uh, which they didn't deserve. I'm so sorry. Uh, Uh, How how old were you at the time when you started working there? I was 21. Okay. Yes, just turned 20. uh, We're all meatheads when we're 21, let's be honest. (laughs) I think I'm still a meathead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If if you quiz my wife, you might agree that I still am too. (laughs) We're all a little meatheady. Yeah. So uh, so you start at the front of the house, and you're not taking it that seriously. And at some point, you transition to back of house. Is that accurate? Yeah, so funny funny thing. Yeah, so right. Hmm. uh, So I actually... I got really influenced by some of the cooks and some of my friends. And then what kind of what kind of maybe go over the edge was uh, what was it? I think it was Chef's Table or something. I just watched a few episodes of Chef's Table, and I'm like, I'm in, dude. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah, let's let's like make some cool shit. That, uh, the, that, the birth of these fucking reality cooking shows. That so many people went that way because of it. Because it was, I think everybody thought, oh damn, this is so glamorous. And then you get back there and you just work in the line. <laughs> it's a little different. Right, scenario. right. Yeah. And it totally, it kind of, that kind of happened to me a little bit. But then it kind of, after that, it almost switched again where I found, uh, I found more beauty, not in like, I don't know, these really, you know, like violin playing over a white cloth table. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of beauty in like, man, the line where you're with three other guys, like you're, it's 110 degrees. Like, yeah. you know, we're just roasting you're flipping pans, you're, you know, I'm dishwashing and you're going at like this pace that you thought was inhuman mm-hmm. when you started. And then you kind of hit this flow. Um, yeah, you're going to really, really learn, really learn really how the to trenches there. Pans. Yeah. It really, yeah, the no, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we've talked to a few people who have made this transition back and forth again, usually they go the other way, but how have you found that the, um, that the, 
like what you learned in the back of the house uh, helped helped in your transition to the front house when you got into craft cocktail. I mean, I mean, I, I can only imagine. It's, like I've never done it, so I can only imagine it's such an right. influence with flavor profiling and. I would actually say it's a little. I mean, I think I definitely the way I think of uh, cocktails is is the same way I think of food, and I learned about food about like acid, fat, like really going down to the basics of what you're cooking, uh, stuff like that. Um, I think. I kind of took away flavor, maybe some some tricks, but mostly I focused on uh, kind of how to run a kitchen and how it runs and like mise en place, like, you know, the the all time mantra motto is like mise en place, mise en place, mise en place. Like if your towel isn't folded, you better go home kind of thing. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's how I and that's how I actually I. I repeat to a million times a day. All my staff are very annoyed with me. Uh, like we're running this, we're running the bar like a kitchen. Mm. Uh, like be, you know, be a chef. Be very, you know, look at everything, taste everything. Like make sure it's a dish that's going out. Because I think a lot of times people think of drinks as expendable, and a mistake is not that bad. Uh, but in reality, like a cocktail is is half the price of a. It's a pretty big entree, mm -hmm. right? And so it's it's almost you have less less forgiving customers when it comes to a drink because they're paying so much for it, you know. Oh, yeah, I think you're. I think you might right, be right about that. Like there was definitely a time before the craft cocktail revolution that, may, as you say, maybe it ended up just being a fad. But like where that customers only felt that way about the food, and they were willing to take. Like, it was like ah, this isn't the best drink I ever had, but it's also not eighteen dollars. So what the fuck do I care, right? And totally. now you're in this situation where, well, it, I mean, in all honesty, if I'm going to charge you eighteen dollars for a drink, then it better be on the same level of quality as the food is, or totally, yeah, um, yeah. And what was the culture like? Okay, first of all, maybe describe what kind of a place that was. So, uh, Chef George and Carly, also the owners, they uh, they ran a very tight ship, uh, which I'm very thankful to them for for kind of teaching me how to. They almost it's even though it's it's kind of a it's a mom and pop business for the most part, but it's still they had corporate structure in a lot of ways. Uh -huh. um, that didn't necessarily mean you had to contact HR that was you know hundreds of miles away, which is great. Um, but it meant that there was there's a rule for everything, and that helped me immensely finding structure, especially going into new places that don't have structure, and making sure I can build my own structure. Um, mm, that's so they, yeah, so they they were hyper structured. They're very much, you know, we do stuff. Uh, we keep track of sales. We'd have kind of these little competitions between servers, like how much you can pump out. Um, and kind of, you know, like there's the 3K club, which is uh, $3,000 in an hour. So if you worked a 3K hour, you're in the 3K club. And it was, it was very much like kind of that. Like, so it's, uh, uh, the price points must be relatively high at this place if you're doing like a 3K hour. Like what kind of a restaurant was it? Um, it's, it's kind of, oh, man, that's a, that's a great question. Hey, <laughs> um, that's what I do here. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh shoot! Yo, shoot! I'm on a podcast, guys. Uh, no, I uh, I think it's it's kind of it's not fine dining necessarily, but it had fine dining principles. If that makes any okay. sense, like you know, it's it's definitely. I don't know if you know what Red Robin is or anything like that. It's, it's, yeah, it's, so that's like an American chain of like kind of similar to what like a Kelsey's here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's like it's a you know it's it's steps above that. 
but no one's, you know, uh, for the most part, we're not like doing quiet servers or anything like that. Like very personable, very much like you're, you know, you're busting. Every time you're busting, you can make a small joke. You don't have to be so right. too formal or anything like yeah. that. So that's, and, that's and kind what, of where is that. And the food is kind of in the similar vein, like sort of all over the place, or was there a theme to the... So this is that Peruvian, this is that Peruvian. Oh, this is the Peruvian spot. Okay, sorry, yeah, yeah. yes. Okay, okay, gotcha. Um, and the what kind of a capacity are you looking at at a place like that? I think we had a maximum of 87. Okay, uh, so fuck, $3,000 hour in an 87 capacity place. <laughs> That's pretty serious business. Yeah. Were you guys just turning over like crazy? Yeah, so we so we had high turnover, and uh, we basically we structured it. George and Carly structured it really well, where like people loved the appetizers. They had to get an appetizer. They had to get an entree. They had to get a cocktail right. or three. Uh, and you just make it so that it's it's there. People are coming there not to eat before the experience a little bit more. They want the full kind of course spread for the most part, and that that's how we mostly managed to do that, as gotcha. well as just hyper-efficient systems where, like, I think, you know, the most cocktails I've ever made in an hour was at Sangria, like, craft cocktails in an hour was Sangria, where I didn't I didn't do a single whiskey Coke or anything like that. It was all, you know, five-ingredient cocktails, but I still made something like 100 cocktails in an hour. Yeah, like yeah. Ooh. Yeah, we've yeah. had a couple of people on the show, and, I, and um, actually we had our guest last week, uh, Yancey, he was uh, a bartender in New York, and uh, he works at a place similar to that. And I was mentioning that that's kind of what my bar has become, that we didn't really expect. Where it was like, totally. we, we thought yeah. we were making like five ingredient cocktails, cool craft cocktails, and we didn't expect to also be doing nightclub style service with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah turnover is crazy. Yeah, so that's um, so that sounds like a cool experience. What was the kitchen culture like? Or like these sounds like the people you worked with for were pretty cool. But was is this still back in the day of like angry chef, like what? Or was it pretty calm? There was, uh, I think it was, it was a little. It was, I mean, okay, it was kind of angry chef to some extent. I would say, uh, for the most ninety nine percent of the time, it was very chill. People would get on each other's backs, but not in a way that was like yelling, not in a way that was condescending. It was just like, hey, dude, pick it up. Like, right. you're okay. Come with me. We're going to solve it. You know what I mean? It, okay. was, it was pretty supportive. Uh, once in a while, there, there might be a yelling match. Like, I, I got yelled at for on Valentine's Day, right after my girlfriend broke up with me, I got yelled at for <laughs> half an hour straight. <laughs> so, you know, it yeah, has a rough Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, well, if you want to mention her name, it's okay now that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that sounds like a cool experience and definitely a good spot to start working at. Now, do you, when you transition back um, to the floor, uh, to the front of the house, um, was it at the same spot or was that at your next job? It was actually. So I, uh, I just, I'm kind of one of those people that I want to know everything and I can be really annoying to be honest. Cause mm. I'll just, I'll step onto line and stand behind someone and be like, okay, wh why, why did you do it then and not now and stuff like that. Um, so I was doing that. I was dishwashing mostly at the time cause we had a full loaded staff. I got basically back to dishwasher cause some old, old crew came back. Right. And makes more sense for them to be online than you. So like, sorry, you're going to have to dish. Mm. Uh, so I was on dish and every day after work, uh, I would get off around seven. So we still had three more hours, like our busiest hours almost. And so I would actually just step behind the bar off the clock, 
and be like, I'm your free bar back. Like just anything you need, tell me, I'm just going to watch you. I'll ask questions when you have time. And I did that for a couple months. Uh, and then finally some bartenders left and the owner and the manager were like, Hey Levi, like, you know, obviously you're interested like quite clearly and you probably have a better hold on it than anyone else. So I went from dish to, I think lead bartender in about <laughs> out of necessity, not necessarily out of skill. It's a Cinderella that. story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. Hey, now, quick question for you: When you were doing that, uh, like for free, essentially, were you getting like little tip outs at all the entire time? No, I, I made sure. Uh, I wanted to make sure that the bartender, because they were teaching me, like I didn't want, I didn't want anything in it from it besides knowledge. Like I was okay. very, very oh, clear wow. about that. Yeah. Where were they? Were they offering or? Uh, I mean, no. Well, kind of. Yeah. I mean, they definitely wanted to, and like I would get, you know, free drinks at the end, right. you know, stuff right. like that. And I just interject for a second. I think that like it's really, I, as a bar owner, I really think it's cool that you did that because that is how you fucking learn in this business, where you just like, look, I'm, yeah. I'm willing to, like, if I want to. I don't want to be this old man shaking his fist at the young kids these days, but I'm Please about do. to. Please do. They all I'm, suck. Just I'm think. about to. Like, I've had younger people work for me who just feel like, well, you hired me, and now this is my job, and all the, the, the money's promised to me, and the tip-outs promised to me, and whatever, and, and have made yeah. no effort to learn the business. And maybe because they don't care. They don't expect to do this for the sort of lives. That's fine. But you, you should still have a point of pride in your work. Um, and, and I like your attitude of wanting to learn everything because that's kind of how I've always been in in my life and in my career as well and it, I, I just don't understand I have a really hard time understanding when other people aren't like that you know what I mean like, I wish I could tell you that I understood what they don't but I'm yeah. I I don't get it I mean no. people my age people older people younger than me like honestly it's kind of it doesn't seem necessarily almost doesn't seem like a generation thing anymore it's just the times where right. people are set in like just do your job and don't say anything uh, and that's and that's for me that's an incredibly negative uh, attitude to take to work, and it seems it seems neutral for me. It's it's destructive. Where like mm -hmm. if you're not learning, you're actually you're actually losing because everyone else is. That's right. Yeah. And like and how do you expect to? I mean, and again, I like let's give credit to the people who don't want this for their career. That's fine. I understand why maybe those people aren't so interested in the learning process, even though right. I still think you would prefer to be good at your job but like um but for people like us who have chosen this as a career like how the fuck else are you going to get to the level you want to get to right like yeah i yeah i don't i don't really know i think a lot of people expect uh i think it's it might be modern university or something where they expect to be fed everything hmm. and that they can regurgitate it in a test that's kind of what i, I oh that's interesting i wonder I if that's think. right yeah yeah, because because uh, it's true. It's like it's almost like you didn't tell me this. That's why I'm not doing it. Whereas yeah. in what like in people like you and I are like, why are you doing it that way? Totally. Yeah, and that's and, that's, and, and like I think it's just you know having something where you want to analyze, where you want to look around you, where you just have a little bit of like wonder, a little yes. bit, of, and maybe it's just you know maybe it's Google where like they're like oh I can Google it so whatever like I don't know why anything is like it is right now. Like I'm not. An, analyst, mm -hmm. an actual no, analyst. No, 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 yeah. 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 Um, okay, so is it around this time that you decide that this is kind of what you want to do? Uh, I, I, yeah, pretty quickly, like six months into bartending and then just really like hitting the books really hard. And like at that time, Death & Co. was was my Bible. 
Uh-huh. Like I just, I carried it everywhere in my backpack. I would flip through it when I had time. Uh, hey, you're not alone in that. So many, so many people came up in the cocktail culture. That's with that's it, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And that's and that's you know, and, and I, I think I, I made a switch. And then I think when I really decided that I could do it, not when I wanted to do it, but when I could do it, was when I got kind of the concept of hospitality down and kind of actually, it sounds kind of weird, but stopped focusing on cocktails and started to really focus on an experience, like providing an experience, being a part of that experience, uh, making sure that everything is okay, but also kind of being being a personality, mm-hmm. being kind of a performer without being boisterous, you know what I mean? Right. Like right. really just making anyone, anyone that walks through the door for the most part uh, feel at home or or if not at home into something incredible that they're about to experience and really taking the time to make time for guests to make time for if they have a question i will answer to my fullest capability you know that's that's a great way to look at it honestly because sometimes uh and i think that this was something you mentioned you want to get into so let's just get into it like where the first of all what are you drinking uh oh ooh, so idaho Yep. Is uh, state controlled. So I, it took me ten months. I special ordered this. It took me ten months to get this. It's Bazal. No. And, yeah. I don't various... even know what that is. Like what? Like literally. Oh, Bazal. Oh, Bazal is a, is a mezcal where they do. So Bazal just means wild. So they uh, they actually only for the most part only harvest wild uh, different agaves. Oh and shit. So they'll go out and track and like with a jeep or whatever find some aged agave that's incredibly hard to find. And then, uh, and then their their bottles are actually. I don't know if you can kind of tell. This is all ceramic. Oh but really? Yeah. I realize that's this cool. is an audio podcast. I'm showing yeah, you. Yeah. No, about. that's fine. That's why we use the descriptors. Uh, that's cool. I, I and so when you say that uh, Idaho state controlled, that means that uh, that sounds similar to what we live in under in Ontario here in Canada, where we have something called the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, and yep, they determine yeah. what's brought in. Yep, that's exactly yeah. what it is. Where okay. uh, I didn't realize that where that happened in the U.S. Oh wow! So there's several. I think Oregon, Idaho. I think there's like ten, ten states that is liquor controlled. Where you can't, uh, like, if I went to Washington and bought a bottle, it's I could lose the business's liquor license if I had it on my shelf. In yeah, Idaho. that's that's the same. That's the exact same as it is. Yeah, yeah. So you have to buy it through the state, which you know it's it's. I think it's cheaper overall because it's all price controlled there's no competitive market mm-hmm. uh but then the drawback to that is that it can't get what you want 10 months to get a bottle yeah. of mezcal you know what i mean wow. yeah uh, yeah that's crazy okay well that's very interesting because i didn't realize i thought, I thought like, it was just all free-for-all yeah we thought it was just the wild west all over the u.s <laughs> I, <laughs> like, well it looks like the wild west out here right now that's yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh okay so let's get into the topic we want to talk about which is like looking at the guest like like getting some of the ego out of the whole mm-hmm. bartending scene and kind of how to put this best but like like let's get back to the fact that what we do is try and make an experience for the guest as opposed to showing off how awesome we are at making cocktails totally. or yeah and so, I think I mean I, I think that mostly relies uh, on like remembering that you're a server that happens mm-hmm. to make cocktails like the cocktail bit is is really just an add-on. It's not yeah. like a lot of bartenders are like, I am a bartender, and and I'll I'll, I'll say that. But I, I when I say bartender, what I really think of is is a server that happens to also be your chef for the drinks. Right, and that's, right. And that's, that's a great all way to put it. it. Great way to put yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. So because I had this like bit of a freak out a while ago where people were, and partially I think 
some of it was my fault. Like, I maybe handled it in a poor way at the first bar that I owned where I was kind of, like, building people up to be like, look, this is... We're, this is what we're doing. We're like, when you leave this place, you're going to be able to get a job anywhere, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're like right. building, almost building their ego, which is important to a certain extent. So they're confident in coming up with their, like, so you can turn over the cocktail program to them or whatever. But it became this thing almost where I literally had to say at one point, like, can we get over ourselves a little bit? You make drinks and bring them to tables. <laughs> that, that's it's what so, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, that person is literally going to pee that out later. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, sure. Like, you'll blow their mind, but then they're also going to forget. Like, they might forget about them. Like, it's just, it's just a drink. It's yeah. just anything. You're not even making the ingredients that are going in there. You're squeezing the limes. You didn't grow the lime. No. You didn't make them. You know what I mean? Like, right. you need to take, your, take everything a notch down and remember... If you're going to be proud, be proud of the fact that someone feels really good that they're there, that they're at your bar, that that they hey, want to be around you, you know? Hey, man, I couldn't have said it better. Like, that's what we're supposed to be providing is the ex- is that when that guest leaves, they're like, what a fucking experience. Not, totally. holy shit, that guy is the second coming of Jesus that for cocktails. That guy's so cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, definitely. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I think that's such a, and that definitely, you know, that's, that happens. Like everyone, the culture does think the bartender is the cool guy. Yes. And like, Just like the chef is. To, yeah. Exactly. You, yeah. And you have to a little bit, you, you know, you don't have to be in like, you don't have to be socially awkward. Like don't be socially awkward to get right. rid of that. But, but also, you know, make sure your head doesn't get filled with these, uh, like, high school like jock in the restaurant kind of thing you know right right (laughs) i know yeah no i think that's really important i don't know i really just hope that we haven't come too far in this fucking scenario that we can't come back to what you're talking about like i think it takes people like you and so i'm glad you brought it up who are like trying to change the culture a little bit but like there's a lot of the culture that's so far gone in that direction now that it's going to be hard to rein them back in. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's unfortunate in a lot of ways, but this, this COVID and basically like what's going to stay open and what's going to shut is basically going to be based on who felt, who's going to support it, even though they're not there. Like, like when Nectar, when we closed down here in Moscow, when we closed Nectar, uh, I got, a bunch of regulars and they would text me every day and they're like, Hey, I want to buy six, like your budget is $400 to get me this many bottles of wine. And like, I just want to, and make sure it's restaurant price, not retail price. Like we just want to support you. Oh wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think what's really, I mean, that just shows it's really nectar. Like people like nectar, not because of just the wine, not because of just the, whatever they like it because they like us, they like the owners, yes. they like, every every server uh and i think those and i know i'm i have almost a curled mustache but those curly mustache <laughs> yeah, 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 bartenders yeah. that are like wearing the vest good. and yeah yeah <laughs> totally and you know if, if they are if they're acting too good for uh, for a guest to explain something to a guest and be condescending like they're not going to survive man like no one's going to want to go back to that yeah uh i'm just uh something you touched on there very briefly that i would like uh, i'm interested in because well, we know how it works in Canada. We've had a lot of guests from Canada at the beginning of this program for obvious reasons. Um, but the, how does it work with um, wine at your restaurants? Um, do you have reps that come and sell you stuff that you can't get at the at, the, at your corner yeah. store? Or it's totally. So yeah. we so we're for anything uh, above a certain ABV that has to go through the liquor store that's state controlled. Anything below that, beer, wine, sake, you name it. Uh, goes through reps which mm-hmm. which is nice because we have actually 
for such a small town of 20,000 people, uh, like, you know, we, I have, I have eight, eight different reps that have totally different portfolios. I have hmm. like, you know, hundreds, yeah. some thousands of wine. So yeah, so we, we go through, uh, reps, which is really nice. You can actually taste stuff before you buy it, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So that's what, that's what I do at my place as well. And like what, what, what I've gotten very into doing is solely basing my list on stuff you cannot get at our liquor store because now I'm providing another unique experience totally. for the guests, right? And maybe a reason to come back because they really enjoy the wine while they know they can only get it at my spot. So that's actually, so ne- that's what Nectar was originally built on. Uh, the, they didn't have a liquor license. They're, this, they're open for 13 years now. Uh, and three years ago, I want to say, maybe four, they bought their first liquor license. Really? Yeah. And how long so have you been working that, there? So I've been working there three, two and a half years. Yeah, so, like, half years. so you saw that they got a liquor license. You're like, now nah, that sounds like a place to work at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just jumped. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they, so they actually, so Brett, uh, Brett Woodland, he's the, he's the, one of the owners with Nikki Woodland, his wife. Uh, and he's, uh, he's a wine guy who, like he doesn't have his sommelier anything, but he used to manage Noble Rot in in Portland, Oregon, which is an awesome, awesome wine bar, uh, restaurant. Yeah, and I've heard of that place, and I can't like I, I saw it in your bio, and I can't figure out why I know what Noble Rot is. Noble Rot like, is. Yeah, yeah, but like it I, for some reason I, it's made it to Kitchener. Like I know about it for some reason. Cool. Well, it's yeah. the tits, man. That's probably why yeah. you know of it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they, their, their wine program is awesome because they sell everything retail and they charge a corkage if you want to open it at the restaurant. So that's how oh, their structure works. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. Right? Huh. Um, yeah. Anyway, so he, he brought kind of, he uh, he's doing what I'm doing in Moscow now. He did it uh, already with wine. So I'm, I'm kind of like learning to basically, you know, have people give me trust to try new cocktails, try new liquor, try all that. He did that 13 years ago when he opened, well, you know, throughout the years of wine where, you know, we didn't have, no one knew that people even made wine in Portugal, uh, right. in Moscow, right? Like there wasn't really as much of a wine culture and he really started bringing some really interesting bottles in and he taught me pretty much, I would say almost everything I know about wine for the most part. And um, so now this is going to get back to what we were talking about earlier a little bit with cocktails, but how is educating a small town in Idaho about wine? How does, like, is that a difficult process or have you found it relatively easy? It's now, it's uh, it's relatively easy when you know what the fuck you're talking about. Right. Uh, it's all knowledge, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so, I mean, I think especially with, you know, with cocktails or wine, uh, with wine specifically, it's it's a little harder since, you know, French labels aren't going to say the the varietal. They're just right. going to be like, oh, this is a Morgan, and you're supposed to know that that's yeah. that's in Burgundy, that's in blah blah yeah. blah blah, and then, uh, and so it's just being like, well, like you like Pinot Noir, like I got something for you, man. Like I got this Morgan, and like you know, and just really being the knowledgeable one to be able to like even kind of blow their minds for a little bit to kind of give them like a taste of what it's like to be kind of a little adventurous like oh like i only drink pinot noir well like well look like i can give you a taste of something that's pretty damn close but different in a really nice way or or even like just sometimes just saying that's like oh i'm gonna give you a a red burgundy which is 90 percent right gonna be a pinot noir right so it's like yeah yeah, totally totally but it sounds it's like it sounds like a new adventure to your guest, and totally. and 
talk to me a little bit about this because we try and do this really in a big way. Like when we first opened Sugar Run, we are very much, the list is going to be all varietals that no one really is familiar with. And our whole thing is going to be hand selling awesome. these, this yeah. wine to people, right? Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how you go about doing that, where it's like, in a similar fashion that you do with uh, how we were talking about earlier with cocktails, where you're kind of mm-hmm. hand selling wine to someone and maybe introducing them into a varietal that they were not familiar with. Well, I think uh, the difference between wine and cocktails for me is something that I uh, I have. I mean, I have this little stupid catchphrase, uh, not even catchphrase. I don't want to call it catchphrase. That's really dorky. Uh, but just like a thing I always say, like if I'm hosting, I'll say like, you know what, for you, I think I can make this work. And like all of us have this very, very like try to make it as personal as possible. When people give me like stuff they like, I'm like, you know what, I think I know something perfect for you. And just all right. this, really making it not about i'm not going to be like look this is a 13 13.5 percent abv high acidity like people are going to slump over in their chairs and fall oh, they're, they're going to stop listening yeah uh, yeah, yeah. So, so and instead of being like also the pretentious wine guy where you're just like look you will like this you know why you'll like yeah. it because it's good like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, yeah. No, no, like, of tell course, me, we'll like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, yeah. you will like it. As opposed to, like, like, dealing with the guests as a fucking person. And, like, yeah. I know we all complain sometimes that the guests don't treat us like actual people, but, uh, but we need to be t- treating them like individual human beings. Totally. Where you're like, what do you like? What are the tastes and the flavors that you like? Exactly. And then use your catchphrase where it's like, I think I can work with that. And like, yeah, 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 that's good. That's a good way of going about it. And, and I think we all need to get a little bit more back to that. No, totally. I mean, I think right now a lot of, I mean, so my sommelier, some of my sommelier friends, I'm not going to say all my, a, a few of my sommelier friends got so wrapped up in what they're learning about that they forgot that what the job is, right? They, they're like, they're going to stand there for two minutes and talk about like, man like northern italy what do they grow in northern italy they grow this type of mushroom and you can taste it in the blah 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 and it's like it's awesome that you're so nerdy about this like if he, if they were serving me i'd be stoked about it but nine times 99 times out of 100 times uh you know they're they're forgetting the personal touch of it and like do they want to hear about that they do not want to hear about that or uh if they do like make sure you know you're talking about the right stuff with them in the first place you know do they even care about italy like stuff right. like that i'm so glad you said that because i think that like we've kind of moved in that direction as an industry in general where it's a great thing that people who are, have really dedicated their lives to doing what we do are now so into the knowledge side of it whereas before right. it was more about quick cash and now right. the people who are into it as a career are much more about learning, which is great. But you also need to balance that with the fact that your guests have not taken these courses. The guests are like, right. and, yeah. yeah, and like finding a way, like put your knowledge, use your knowledge, use your knowledge, obviously, but do it in a way that connects to the guests still and doesn't make them feel like you're talking down to them. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, piggyback on their ideas in a way that makes them feel good, that bolsters their knowledge in the first place, that makes them feel like whatever they said, you really understood. And that's how and that's how you're going to have a regular in the first place. If they right. if someone feels understood, they, they want to come back. Like, right. I know I do. That's that's, you know, for yeah. me, who uh, as a 
voice that is kind of hard to understand sometimes. Mm-hmm. I like being understood quite a bit. Yeah. And I'll always go back to people that do that. Yeah. And so Nectar as a place, what kind of a, what kind of a spot is that? Describe it a little bit. Totally. It's a, so they model it off of, of, so they used to live in, I was born in Portland. They used to live in Portland. So that's, I think that's why I love Nectar so much. But, uh, they model it after like a small, small neighborhood inner, like kind of definitely in the city kind of bistro, but also elevated food. So like elevated comfort food where like, you know, we, we have a filet, but we also have like a very much elevated, like even a mac and cheese or, you know, whatever, like anything to make people feel comfortable good service, friendly service, not ever like a cold shoulder. No one is not good enough to come in. You know what I mean? Like, we're not going to make you wear a tie. We're not going to do anything like that. Right. And it's just local neighborhood, really, really depending on the community and really trying to make the community feel at home in that space. And was this your first sort of opportunity to kind of craft your own cocktail list, like be in more of a supervisory role? Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's, so it's actually, yeah, that's, so I was working at Sangria and Nectar at the time. Uh, and then I got basically the, the bar manager, uh, Maddie, she stepped down and she was going away. And then I just decided to ask, uh, Brett and I'm like, Hey man, like I'm studying, I'm doing these things. I, you know, I don't know if I'm perfect. I don't know if I can do everything, but here's 15 things I can do for you. And these are like two things you can do for me and like, let's get started on this and let's start working on some new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, I kind of, I started doing uh, new menus. I made definitely some stupid decisions about like what I should put on a menu and like what people are ready or not ready for it. Like, yeah, yeah, give me an example, if you don't mind. Uh, oh man, I'm trying to think. I mean, like I did this, this crazy rum cocktail where it's just like black rum, a little like tiny bit of uh, rum agricole, and then I did five types of bitters. And, <laughs> and I, I stand by that cocktail where like you can taste every bitter, you can taste everything. It's a good cocktail, but like I don't know what I was thinking. Like people, like people are like, I've never tried an old fashioned. I'm like, you should try this thing then. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, yeah. let's be honest. So for the for the average guest that comes in, sometimes it's hard to get their uh, head around one type of bitter. If you put it in the <laughs> list, bitter, yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, is, is this cocktail going to be bitter? Yeah. I don't know. There's five different kinds. So. <laughs> no, I was. Yeah. I think that's definitely that stands out as probably one of my greatest. Uh, learning moments. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's interesting that you say that because it's like, it's not that the drink was bad, it's just that, like, it's a hard thing to describe to a guest. It's not, I mean, over here, it's not even worth putting on a, it's like, it's, I have it up my sleeve for like, if I've had some like bartenders from like New York stop in and they're like, oh, we saw that you were part of Tales of Cocktail, we wanted to stop in and just like try your drinks. So I'll have it for like them where like, you know, they're going to Nomad and every Nomad drink is like eight ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so they're into that, you know, so I'll I'll pull it out then. But in the area, I don't think anyone uh, even wants to try that cocktail. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so since you brought it up, let's dive into Tales of the Cocktail. Can you explain to our listeners exactly what Tales of the Cocktail is, why it's a big deal? Uh, No, so Tales of the Cocktail, uh, quite simply, it's it's like bar con, you know, like if you're really into comics, if you're coming in, especially as a guest and or a bartender that just wants to go and see what it's about, it's like everything there, everything you've ever heard of is there. Like 
you know, there's there's Dave Arnold, uh, Dale DeGroff, like all these huge names in the industry is just wandering in the same hotel where there's all these like awesome seminars. Uh, and, and Tales of the Cocktail basically focuses on education. Uh, and so it's mostly bartenders going into seminars and you're sampling a brand new type of mezcal, a brand new type of this, uh, and just learning as much as you can basically within a week. And I was part of the, I was accepted as a red coat, which is you get, there's 40, 40 red coats a year, 20, uh, gray coats and four black coats. And I think four white coats. And so that's kind of the hierarchy. Uh, and so I'm, I'm basically, uh, like there's, there's teams of two with a gray coat over you and you're, and you go on these teams and you bust out these insane seminar rooms where uh, we have this one guest uh, speaker and he's like, I wanna do seven cocktails for, I think it was 300 people, maybe 250 people Holy in shit. seven cocktails in, uh, I think it was an hour and a half time. Uh, so we, you know, we had the task where we had to make, like, how are we gonna make, like, if it's, I, could, I think it was 250. So it was 250 times seven, I cannot do math right now, but, it, like, you know, don't worry, your dad's just a couple a thousand cocktails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, okay. In that case, 1,750 cocktails. There you go. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So, you know, how do we make those cocktails in that time? Uh, and it was really just, I was, I think I learned the most about the industry and what it's like to work with professionals in that setting where, you know, like next to me uh, was. You know, uh, next to me was Alexis Belton, who is the, uh, she's a bar director at the Aviary, which is, you know. In Chicago. Right? That fucking exactly. bar is amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, it, and yeah. it's, it was weird for me. I felt like a, a little kid. I felt like an idiot uh, most of the time because I remember when I met Dale DeGroff. So I'm wearing my red coat, right? And it has my little name stitched into it right here. And I go up to Dale DeGroff. I'm like, hi, my name's Levi. It's a great honor to meet you. He looks at my coat and he's like, yeah, your name's Levi. <laughs> Which, uh, I, yeah, uh, it was cool though. I mean, you know, meeting all your basically, especially being in Moscow, Idaho, where you feel isolated from everything. Sure. Well, and it's a big deal for you, like to get. So, how do you get noticed? Uh, okay, first of all, we should mention the Tales of Cocktails in New Orleans. So you also get to spend all this time in the greatest city in North America. So, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, crazy town. Yeah. Yeah. But you, uh, how do you get, like, how, for instance, how do, you, how do you get the gig? Like, how do you get noticed for something like that, especially coming from such a small town? Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it's just an application process where uh, if anyone wants to apply, I highly recommend it as a bartender. Uh, apply and just be honest about, like, what you want, what you want to learn. Uh, and so that's that's all I did. I actually, so I, I wrote my essay. I was, I think, a little bit tipsy. And I had never thought I would ever write, I would get into Tales of Cocktails. And I saw the applications popped up. I was like, just for fun, like, I'm just going to write. And I didn't even look over for spelling errors or anything like that. I just like, spent like 40 minutes writing and like just sent it and then just forgot about it completely. Uh Uh, And then I, I apparently they liked what I wrote when I was mildly tipsy. Oh, so it's, it's about like an essay. So they're not... They, they don't give a shit about what you've done, drink mixing or... Definitely not. And I think... Oh, I think, interesting. Yeah, so, like, you know, one of my really good friends who's now working... He's a bartender at uh, Penultima now. Uh, Penultima in, uh, oh, my gosh, Puerto Rico. Great guy. He uh, he was actually a bar back at the time that he got accepted into the program. Oh. So, I mean, you know, like, it's not necessarily about being... 
the greatest, awesome, most awesome bartender. It's just about kind of having, you know, maybe hospitality down, being wanting to be working a team, leadership steps, just stuff like that, where you're just basically being as professional as possible. And like, how can you better the industry? Like, that's kind of what you write about in your essays. And so if you obviously I know you didn't get to go and hopefully when they do it again, you're still in the same position and they just reboot. Right. But um, right. What like what does what do you get out of the experience? Do you imagine? And what does like the average person who just goes to this conference right. get out of it? So kind of what to expect out of it, man. Uh, everything, everything you ever hoped for, everything you ever dreamed for. I don't yeah. know. It's. It's kind of mind blowing where like if you're into tiki cocktails, there's at least a couple of seminars every day with like Beach Bum Berry and these legends and that uh, where, you know, Dave Wendrick, where they have these seminars and they just discuss, they're like, we're going to tackle the 50s today and talk about cocktails invented in the 50s and everything you ever wanted to know crammed in an hour and a half uh, and Q&A sessions and and it all, it sounds really dorky now that I'm saying it out loud. Uh, but yeah. it's also, it's a wild party the entire time where you're and drinking when you wake up to when you go to sleep. So what you, you personally, what you're doing there is like you are involved in the seminars. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So the speakers, uh, so I actually, I got to do Beach Berry and uh, Dave Wondrick's seminar where we were the lead team. So we were helping, uh, I think we we're the lead team. We we're one of the teams on it at least where we're bringing out the drinks and where like, you know, a certain slide comes up. So we queue in, you know, uh, like a certain drink, some tiki drink that they wanted us to batch and make for the guests. And so we work with them and we get to hang out with them a little bit. And Right. Kind of so, thing. so if I got this right, I was just trying to dumb it down for anyone who might not know, including myself, I'm pretty dumb, that uh, you... Your role there is like you're at the seminar that someone else is teaching and you're busting out the drinks for them is... Yeah, so you're basically yeah. like they're Essentially, you're kind of their kitchen. If right. they, you know, if they were like, oh, like bring out the martinis, not that they actually even say that, but like... Sure. Or you're in the back in a different room making them. Oh, it's, okay. it's getting to every single person in the seminar uh, in a really fast and organized, you know, fashion. Okay. And so how does it work for like guests? Like you buy a ticket and are there different levels of the tickets? Like, or like, yeah, I think there's like, you know, there's an all access pass where you can go to any seminar anytime, or you can go there and just buy one ticket at a time, uh, where, you know, you can pay 20 bucks to go to like the, you know, a Dale DeGraff one and then another 20 bucks to do this. But then you're like, ah, I feel like going and checking out all the pop-ups that are happening all around town for Campari or Bacardi or whatever. Sure. And maybe I'll come back and do another seminar if I want to, you know, like, so it's pretty flexible. They, uh, they make it really easy. They have an app, you know, mm. uh, it's all very much streamlined. And with regards to, so when you're there, are you, how many seminars did you actually do? I think I helped on nine seminars. So nine uh, different famous bartenders you're doing a seminar yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Famous bartenders or uh, brand ambassadors. Brand ambassadors, or, sure. That's got to be totally. huge there. Yeah, yeah like so, any, anything and everything, yeah. So what was your favorite? Uh, oh, man. That's hard to say. I think... Uh, Eric Castro's might have been my favorite just because I'm such a big fan of Eric Castro. He, uh, his, he, like, so he's, he does, he has his podcast, uh, Bartender at Large, I think, right? right. Um, 
And so I got to meet him and he was probably, I mean, everyone was amazing there, but he was super cool. Cause he like pulled me aside and he was just like, yeah, let's talk for a little bit. Like, you know, you're from Moscow, Idaho. What's up? Like, I want to know more about you. So I think that kind of, that sticks oh, out in my good. mind. That's amazing, man. That must've felt good. Yeah. 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 De definitely as a, a small, small town boy bartender. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. Um, and uh, let's talk about actually. Actually, I'd, I'm just interested in talking about this for a little bit. And if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to. But uh, uh, but with regards to brand ambassadors, and I want you to shoot yourself in the, the foot because you still have to deal with people like this. What is your mm -hmm. idea about that whole brand ambassador culture? Because I have some opinions on it, and like the repping part of it, like. Uh, have you ever, first of all, have you ever thought about becoming a brand ambassador yourself? So I think that's, I kind of, I want to, I think later down the line, just because I do want to keep on traveling in the future. And that seems it's like a very good way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't, honestly, I have, I have a few opinions about brand ambassadors, mostly good. I have some friends that are brand ambassadors, but uh, I also, I mean, I don't know. The expenditure, it's all struck me going to these going to these things, Portland Cocktail Week, going to all these different conventions and like, you know, a certain unnamed uh, brand will show up and they're like, they spend at least 50 grand on like right. a party. And I'm like, well, like, should have you done that? Like, I think maybe, like, I don't mind paying for drinks, really. Like, I'm here to do that, basically. Uh, like, you know, if you're especially, you know, I've been to some parties where they're all about green, like, going green and all this stuff and you're there and you're seeing a lot of irony mm -hmm. of like them flying stuff in from all over the world to make this one party happen <laughs> this and, green like, party <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um and so i think maybe brand ambassadors could maybe it's really cool that they try to really get people on board with them and do all sorts of stuff for that but it would also be maybe cool if they also focused on more active and uh i don't know just something that benefits not just one night but rather benefits the year the industry in general right and i i we obviously we can't put them all in one like bubble but like i almost feel like they're like the music agents of the industry in a weird way like where they're slapping other people's shit and like um uh -huh. I, I had a story we had a guy show who was an ambassador I'm not going to say the brand, but who showed up at uh, Sugar Run in Kitchener, Ontario. Open now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a platform. It's yeah, a platform. That's true. Um, the, the, who showed up at Sugar Run to do like a quote-unquote training for my staff. And when he got there, he just used all of my booze that was on the backfire i'm like what the <laughs> fuck man the whole point is you're supposed to bring your own shit <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like i could have done this myself <laughs> i've totally uh i've totally i mean i have actually my like kind of secret and i try not to be like this just because i know it's it's a little petty honestly but it's kind of you know I, i've talked to i've talked to a lot of brand ambassadors when i'm out and about in different big cities and they're like totally like let's go make this thing happen for you and then I'm like, okay, cool, awesome. And then, you know, I come back uh, to Moscow and like, I'll email them, no response. I'll email them again, no response. And then yeah. it's just like, okay, man, like I get you're trying to be positive and all this, but don't, don't give me unrealistic expectations. Don't make me come back to my own place and make me feel like I'm farther away than I ever was. Yes, yeah. And that's, 
And that's not, not, I don't think that's the fault of ambassador ships as much as it is uh, kind of how brand ambassadors need to figure out how to still make people happy without, I mean, the same way as a bartender, like you can't make people happy all the time by just giving everything away for free. Right. You right. know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And like, because like the good news, the good thing is like the, the, even this guy I was telling you about, he still, when he sat down and taught my staff, he knew his shit. So that's, and that's the point of the lesson at the end of the day. Uh, I, I've also found like, okay, so I, I don't know how it works there in the U.S., but um, here in Canada, there's like a big string of like, in, my, in the history of my career, so people who started out as bartender servers or whatever, and they maybe they went to school, maybe they didn't go to school, at some point they were just like, the, when they wanted to get out of the industry, the first, for a while it was, they would go be a teacher. And then Ooh. now it's real estate agent. <laughs> That's the big one. It's like, I, I want to get out of the industry. I'm going to be a real estate agent. Um, right. And I think if you stay in the industry, but you get tired of the grind and dealing with guests and the late hours that can go with mm-hmm. whatever, maybe you have a family, it's become this thing where it's like you, you're a bartender, you get into co- craft cocktailing, you become an ambassador. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the path, almost? <laughs> it has, I mean, I think that's a lot of people's idea of what the path has to be if they want to have a life, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't necessarily agree with. I mean, I think if if you open your own place, just find a really good team. No, it, I know it's easier said than done, but find a good team and, like, don't try to do it all, stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But also there's, there's consulting. There's all sorts of things you can do do that doesn't have to be uh, I think we're losing my you. own boss oh, you're back. Oh. Yeah, we lost okay. you for a second but you're back yeah yeah okay cool 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 yeah um I think my internet connection is unstable oh no uh okay uh I, I forgot what I was saying I'm no, it's okay. Uh, we're t- we were just talking about like the path that you take in your career, and uh, I do. Let's just shift focus for a little bit and just be like, okay, so if you're like, what what do you think you want to do? Like, where are you going? Like, mm-hmm. what's uh, you, you've done a lot of shit already, and Tales of the Cocktail is a huge deal. Do you see? I, I know you were talking about ambassadorship a little bit. I think you're you're also doing consulting. Maybe talk about a little bit about that. How you're breaking into that? Yeah. So I'm actually I'm going into consulting uh, with. I, I don't necessarily know everything enough to be a full-on consultant per se. Uh, but I, I mean, I think that's right now. That's going to be my focus for a while. While I'll bartend, hopefully like three, four days a week, and then I'm consulting another two days. Uh, mm. Just because, especially right now, kind of helping people guide. I mean, I guess you'd be surprised by how many people don't know the basics of like social media or even the basics of like, why why should we have a POS and like, how do we make this beneficial? How do I mark up alcohol properly, right? I mean, I, there's a lot of places, especially in Idaho, that they kind of fly by the seat of their pants and it worked for mm-hmm. a while, uh, but you know, it's 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 really what I'm trying to come in and do is, is add value to a business and, you know, redecorating interior or building different systems, stuff like that. And that's for me, that's incredibly satisfying uh, just because it's it's adaptable. 
you're you're trying to teach how you're trying to teach people how to grow a business without you there as well where, where you try to kind of impart like hey like i'm not teaching you how to do one thing i'm teaching it's like teaching a man how to fish kind of thing right right like you don't just the fish right uh and so it's teaching people how to like look like you know you should make like a you should or you shouldn't but like three years down the line, like you should start implementing this, this, you know, start doing this and this, try to evolve. Mm -hmm. Don't try to find a structure and be like, okay, this is going to work for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's probably not going to work for 10 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's funny there. Cause and the problem, like I always look at the business as like a five year gamble. Once I got into the ownership side of it, it's like, if you get five years out of a spot, that was a success. If you get right. more than five years, then you're a fucking wonder kid. But like, if you should be looking for your exit from the first place, like three years into the, to that place and start thinking about the next place, because that's kind uh -huh. of how it goes, right? So um, when you're talking about like, in, like adapting in, in, in your consultation role, like I think two ways about this and maybe we can get into it a little bit. I think like, there are places that have done the same fucking thing for 15 years, 20 years, right. 30 years, and it's worked great for them because they hit a great idea in a great location, right. a great spot. But for, but you're right. Now that's like the 10% of the hundred, right? Um, right. Yeah. Whereas, so what is your idea? What is your thinking with regarding to? Because I'm very much about like you have to be who you are. And you can't yeah. try and be everything to everybody. So what is your thinking about, like, is it better to try and adapt at a place after a few years? Or is it better to just move on to the next spot? Uh, I think it's it really... Well, no, I think, I think either way is going to work, but you have to make sure you're doing it the right way. If you're going to move to a next spot, uh, for example, like, if you've cultured a certain town into thinking, like, this is the spot and... Like maybe you really like graffiti and hip hop. So that's your bar is graffitied inside and there's hip hop and it's mm -hmm. kind of cool, like five star dive bar styles. Uh, and then you take that concept and you're like, okay, I need to move on so I can grow. But then you try the exact same thing somewhere else. Uh, you know, if you don't pick the right location, uh, you also, you didn't foster the community into that. Like you just kind right. of like busting through the door and being like, screw you guys. Like I'm going to play. Tupac all day long and you guys can't do anything about it. Right. Uh, and it's like staying like, you know, like hip hop is, you know, in this same vein of thought, like if you're going to stay in the same place, like get someone else to graffiti the place, evolve with the place, make it more modern. Right. I okay, think so both do, do, work, do, yeah. kind of like a fresh coat of paint on an idea more than like, because it's like you're saying, totally. like if, if you have the graffiti hip hop spot, you can't just mm -hmm. change courses three years through and just be like, now nah, we're going to be like, yeah, yeah. Like smooth jazz and you know? sure, yeah. That's yeah. not good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think it's more less about putting a uh, paint a coat and making sure you're refining your idea, uh, and that refining has evolution in it, where it is evolving, but it's also becoming more of the essence of it. Because the essence of an idea doesn't have to be tied to necessarily ten years or twenty years or anything like that. It can it can kind of evolve with stuff and and refine into something where it's easy to see what the message, what the, 
the theme, what the atmosphere that the, the owner is going for? Like, are they going for this jazz place? Are they going for hip hop? Right. Okay. So how, how does one do it though? Like, and I, I'm, I'm legitimately asking, I don't think I have the answers to this either, but like, how does one go from, okay, this is my idea. This is my concept, mm-hmm. but I need to evolve at the same time. Like how, how do you do incremental, um, changes without drastically changing the concept? Uh, I mean, I think it, from a simple base point is is make sure. I mean, like I think my opinion is is music and lighting is the most important thing in any restaurant. Amen. Um, and I think you know don't don't keep on don't have the same playlist for. I mean, I'm kind of guilty of this. Uh, I try to update my playlist as much as I can for the restaurant, but start evolving and start kind of pushing it. And then through that, uh, maybe like if you're getting inspiration from like we're saying hip hop. Like make get like a big Biggie Smalls mural in like a couple of years on one of your walls, you know. Like start pushing what the identity of the restaurant has been. Oh, like, so you're saying just take the like, what you already have and just keep pushing it further? Kind of pushing it further and kind of making it. I mean, I guess uh, that's yeah. This is I'm 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 not as clear as I want to be here. Hey, uh, hey too so much mezcal. That's uh, all right. We're just talking. <laughs> No, I, I think what I'm saying is, yeah, pushing it further, but really getting to the root of it, kind of refining what you want from that idea. Like, if you wanted hip-hop, uh, did you want generic hip-hop? Because hip-hop is the broadest, you know, it's a super broad genre. Sure. Like, what's what's been working for you and what's been working for the guests for two years? If it's been Biggie Smalls on Tuesdays, you know, go with that and, like, refine that idea into something that's going to work and kind of give yourself identity. Uh, and at the same time, you are, I think you are evolving even though it seems like you're getting deeper into something i think you're still actually evolving past something and just being like generic into something more specific would you say it's uh, similar to what you were talking about at the beginning where it's like get to the point of the drink yeah i know i definitely think that's i think that's you know, get to the point of the bar. thinking get the point, get the what's point like, of the bar. Yeah. why the hell am i here what am i listening to what, the, what, what, what are you what gonna it, make for me yeah what is the point of what i'm doing here yeah and then sometimes yeah. you can strip it back to that core and then reboot a little bit. Yeah, totally. And I yeah. think that's, uh, I mean, I think, you know, that's a little easier said than done. I think it takes like a month at least of like being on premise and really just being like, what is, why are people here? Like, are people actually here for the music or is it the only spot in town? Oh. Like, what's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah. just, you know, just really kind of going through and, and looking at, uh, what's working for the owner and what's working for the guests and really making sure you're not stripping away the power of the owner's ideas, mm-hmm. you know, like making sure that they're being expressed. Cause anyone that buys a restaurant at the end of the day, I hope they're not doing it for money because it's the worst, worst industry to do that for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure there's a choir on that one. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, you, you, you better get into this business cause you just fucking love it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, and use the, use their, if they're like drained and they're kind of they're kind of tired of it, like they still had ideas in there that you can capitalize on and make make their business uh, more to the point where what they wanted or a little past what they wanted and into something that they're like, I didn't know I wanted this, but I know, but I I want it now, like you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any designs to own your own place at some point, or where like where what you where, I, where, where do you go from here? Well, okay. I'm in flux, man. Uh, I almost, I was really close to just 
without even like two weeks of thinking, just being like, screw it, I'm going to open my own place uh, here in Moscow. Because I had an opportunity, actually, in the apartment that we're in, I was just like, man, like, you know, this, this, and this is happening. I can really make this place into like, you know, I have a following. I have at least, I have at least 300 people that if I go somewhere, they're going to follow me and they're going to come to, you know, come once yeah. every week at least for cocktails. Yeah. So I'm like, that's enough to sustain a business. Sure. Um, as of right now, I'm a little more interested in probably consulting and, and working and learning, uh, learning from Corey, my mentor, and just kind of refining, try to not jump the gun too much, try to not get into a lot of debt. Uh, well, this while pandemic I, you know, changed a lot of shit for all of us, right? So, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so it's, um, do you have, uh, what's the name of your consulting business? Do you have a handle? So I don't have an LLC yet uh, because it's, it's everyone that I've done anything for right now has been mates, friends, all that. So mates, rates, and all that. Uh, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but as soon as you make an LLC, the government takes everything. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'll, I'll probably uh, I'm probably going to get a handle actually in the next week. I have been working on it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you guys posted if you're. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't well, know. We're happy to promote, man. Like, uh, you've got a good head on your shoulders. You definitely are in the game for the right reason. We talk to a lot of people on the show, yeah. and uh, uh, we, 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 I think I'm not speaking out of turn to speak for both of us when we say we would have your back and yeah. push your hey, shit, man. So. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, if someone wants to reach you on Instagram and stuff like that, what's the uh, best way to do I'm, that then? Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm going to double check this because I'm. I'm good at other people's social media, just not my own. Uh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Preacher to the choir, I hear it right there. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, my, so if you just search up Levi Vixie, it will work because I'm the only Levi Vixie that exists. Uh, okay. Otherwise, my actual handle is Levi.k.vixie. Um, if anyone wants to email me, I guess it's just levivixie at gmail.com. Perfect. And uh, I'm just saying that someone's got their years in the game. Levi Vixie knows what the fuck he's talking about. So if anyone's <laughs> literally looking for some consulting, fucking check this guy yeah. out. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It yeah. was great talking to you, man. Thanks, it was man. great talking to you. Thanks for doing this. It was awesome, guys. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. This has been awesome.